This old-time radio program was originally aired live, long before the advent of high fidelity. As a result, you may detect an occasional surface noise or volume drop due to transmission problems so common to old radio. Bueller? Bueller? Nobody puts a baby in a corner. Oh, gnarly! Hey, where's the beat? I want my MTV. I want my MTV! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Hello, welcome to another episode of Living in the 80s, the podcast. Uh, my name is Rob. Very happy to have you all here this week. Uh, I've got a very special guest with me. Um, his name is Kevin Ackley. He is one of my oldest and dearest friends. Uh, we have been friends for how long, Kevin? Well, let's see. I believe I met you when I was seven, so that would have been... A long time ago. A long time ago. Yes. At least 10 years. <laughs> At least. <laughs> no, me and Kevin went to church together uh, as youngsters. And then um, as time went on, we just became more and more friends into our teenage and adult years. We were in each other's weddings. There's a lot of memories of my life, and Kevin was part of them. So why in the world is Kevin here today? Well, our topic this week, and uh, if you've been to the Facebook page and your own pages and stuff you saw people doing like prom challenges and senior picture challenges and things like that so in honor of the 2020 graduates that cannot walk across the stage uh, including Kevin's daughter Brooke she's a senior she's going to Cedarville correct yeah so playing soccer right yes amazing athlete sweet sweet girl so to all of those people who aren't listening to our show at all <laughs> this is for you. What we're going to do here is we're going to go through love songs of the 80s. Think prom themes, that kind of thing. Also known as couples skate only. Because a lot of these songs, you would have taken that, that special girl's hand with your sweaty hand and, and went around the rink a few times. Before we get to all of that, though. And now a word from our sponsors. Thank you for listening to Living in the 80s. We want to take this opportunity to thank all of those that helped make this possible. First and foremost, we want to thank Anchor for providing this platform for us to share this podcast. We also want to thank Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Tuned In Radio, and about a dozen others. We also want to give a special thank you to Star1079.com and Roundtown Radio, where you can hear this podcast weekly. Also, be sure to check us out at our website at livinginthe80s.us and, of course, on our Facebook page, Living in the 80s. Thanks, and back to the show. to make sure that we make it a point to uh, thank all of you people that are getting on the Facebook page every day and answering all the questions and taking the surveys and posting all your stuff on there. I tell you what, it is wonderful. We're up to 1,055 members as of right now and a few more added every day. So we really appreciate that. Last week's 
wrestling podcast, I got some interesting um, comments from some of the wrestling fans and stuff. Uh, they didn't expect that thing to be so in depth, <laughs> so so it was really good. I want to thank uh, Devlin Anderson for joining me. Uh, that was a lot of fun, but we're gonna have a ton of fun this week. Like yeah. I, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I hope so. well, it's so funny because with this whole pandemic thing, everybody's holed up in their houses and stuff, and so me and Kevin decided to break protocol, and we are four feet away from each other right now. We said, heck with that six-foot rule. We're going four. That's right. So we almost high-fived, but we didn't. But did you know that, Kevin, that today is National High-Five Day? I did not know that. It is National High-Five Day. So it's it's, it's a forgotten-about holiday right now, but maybe next year we'll, yeah. we'll bring no, it back in full force. Not much promotion this year for No, there wasn't. Oh, we are going to have so much fun with this. I've been looking forward to this episode since we first started. I have these, you know, as you guys, if you've listened at all, I've had... You know, special guests and things like that come along. I'd like to call them subject experts. And Kevin and I, we used to, um, even into the 90s, make 80s mixtapes together. Like, we would take days and just, we would take turns with songs, put them on these tapes. I still have the tapes. I have since converted them to CDs, and they're now playlists on my iTunes. So, if you guys ever look up the... The words Zantigo <laughs> or uh, Cardos. Those are two of the tapes we made that ended up being CDs, and, and they're now on playlists. Yeah, getting to Zantigo's is quite the road trip now, because I believe it's in Minnesota. Is that right? It is, and I'm itching, man. <laughs> Randy Randy says, I'll go. <laughs> I'm there. And, and Randy's dead serious. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he is. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, for some reason, I find myself bringing Randy up every week. Like, <laughs> he will be here next week, though. We'll be talking about '80s action movies. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you can get Cardo still. It's not quite as far as right. Drive. Yeah. You can go out to Pickerington. There. Well, get, there's one on Logbourne Road. Oh, is there? So, really? Yeah, that's the one I usually frequent. Oh, okay. I'm I'm like Norm when I go in there. Rob. <laughs> yep, that's me. I got it. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to have a ton of fun today, but before the festivities begin, let's go way back, back in time. Okay, this week and back in time, we are going back to 1986. So, Kevin, April 1986. What was going on in your life? Well, let's see. Uh, I was one year removed from high school. It was one year before I met my future wife, Diana. So I like to call her Dirty Diana. Dirty Diana. But she's not dirty at all. But <laughs> that's why. It's but so it's a song. Yeah, exactly. Most of my time was spent work. Uh, I was working full time, and I was also going to college. So uh, not a lot of playtime for me in 86. How about you? 1986 for me. I was working at Auto Body Supply. I was going to church at Grace Memorial. At this time of the year, I was not dating anyone, so I was a free agent. I was, um, I went out with a lot of girls, but was not dating anyone exclusively I remember that. at that time. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's some stories. <laughs> anyway, um, that's what I was doing in uh, 1986. 
just the, that that was a good that was a good year. I remember the the music was good. The you know just the the whole scene. Uh, I was driving a I was driving my Mustang then. It was a piece of crap. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, it was nice when I got it. It became a piece of crap because <laughs> I didn't know how to take care of cars back then. Actually, I don't know how to repair them now, but I at least know how to you know change the oil, which I don't do myself anymore, but <laughs> I could if I had to. You um, know when it's time to have a maintenance now. Exactly. Thank God there's those lights and indicators <laughs> that tell me, you're at 5% oil. You should get it changed. So anyway, speaking of cars in 1986, gas. Guess how much gas was in 1986? I know you know this because you have a photographic it was, memory. It was less than a dollar. Um, I would say around... 90 cents, somewhere in that range. 86 cents a gallon. 86 cents, wow. Yes, which is almost there now. Yes. <laughs> that Yeah, it, it, if you factored in um, cost of living, it's actually cheaper now than it was back then. Um, which yes. Maybe a few weeks ago we wouldn't have said that, but right. it's kind of crashed here recently. Yep. So what's the lowest you've seen it? I saw it for, it's like $1.29 or somewhere in that range. But I had almost a full day tank of gas two weeks ago, so I didn't really need it. Yeah, that's the problem. It's cheap. We can now afford it, but we, we don't can't go anywhere. Go. <laughs> yeah, like you know what? You want to really get a boost to the economy? Keep those low gas prices down when we're allowed to when we're out of prison. Right. Exactly. And we'll be okay. <laughs> so if you bought a new car in 1986, we'll play the high low game. Here. Okay. We'll say a 1986 Honda Accord. Is it above or below ten thousand dollars? I would say it's below. You are correct. Above or below 8000 I would have guessed right around $8,000. you are really good, Kevin. $8,400 oh, okay. would get you a brand new Honda Accord. Wow. Uh, if you wanted a Plymouth Colt, those were only five grand. So wow. you, you could have had one of those <laughs> awesome cars. I, I posted a, picture, uh, a commercial of a Plymouth Colt the other day, 86 Plymouth Colt, on the webpage. It was a teaser, but no one knew what the teaser was even for. And people were p- putting things on there like, oh, Yugo was worse, and a Chevette was worse. Kevin Ackley drove a sweet Chevette. I did, with a rally stripe. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin got all over, all around town. Did it, did it last year all through college? No, it did not. I... Uh... I actually ran into the back of someone at High Street and Obetz Road uh, and totaled it. So, uh, But it was fun while it lasted. Nice. Um, I remember lots of trips in that car. His car, my car. We went all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, how much was a postage stamp in 1986? Oh, boy. Let's see. Uh, $0.15, maybe? A little higher. $0.22. Cents. Okay. $0.22 cents for a stamp. So it's more than doubled that now. Shame on you postal workers and your need <laughs> to make a living. About a candy bar. How much is a candy bar? I would have guessed a quarter. No. You've been pretty close on everything so far. 55 cents. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's not as good as I remember it. No. Well, I mean, they're like a buck now. <laughs> for the, Like, if you want a fun size, those are like $2. So, you know, or not fun size, a super size. Yeah. The yeah. fun size are the little ones. They're right. not. The they're fun they're small, so they're not really that much fun. I don't know why I call them fun size. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that was that. And so the, our last little quiz for you, Kevin, is a how much was a Big Mac value meal? This would be a Big Mac, a fry, and a Coke at McDonald's. I'll go with $3. $2.59. Okay. You were very close. Now I think it's like 6 or 7 bucks. I don't know what it is. 
I'm not I don't. Sure I don't either. buy value meals. At, I don't buy Big Macs. No, I, I, don't, <laughs> so I don't. I don't, I don't Macs, know. So. I don't know. That's where we were in '86, as far as what we paid for stuff and so forth. Now we're going to talk about the top three TV shows this week in 1986. So number three, give it to us, Kevin. Family Ties. Family Ties. What do you remember about Family Ties? In 1986, uh, of course, Michael J. Fox was the, the big star on that show. That wasn't the original intent. It was supposed to be all about the, the hippie parents and right. their, their uh, kind of liberal kids, or I should say conservative kids. Mm-hmm. And Michael J. Fox kind of became the star. This was one year removed from Back to the Future. So he's you know, kind of become an international star at this point. Um, this was one of my favorite shows from the 80s. Yeah, I, me too. I always watched this show. Um, I, and even, even when it kind of got towards the end, when I started adding in characters, like, you know, they had that, that bratty little brother. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I still watched it even. Then. I did too. I watched it till the end. So, yeah, Family Ties is number three. I, yeah, we talked about sitcoms a few weeks ago. Matt Moore crashed and burned on the trivia question. You know, don't you, Kevin? Where did Family Ties? Where was it supposed to take place at? Uh, Cincinnati. I'm sorry, Columbus. <laughs> yes, you're giving, yes, you're giving uh, you gave the mad answer at yes, first. Yeah. Um, in fact, I remember seeing the Dispatch, and I remember one episode seeing um, the back of the. You remember they used to give you something called the Yellow Pages, the <laughs> White Pages. Yes, you used to get those. Like, we dinner. call those phone books. <laughs> right, they used to be called. Yeah, these things that they would deliver called phone books. And they were holding it up one time, and I could see the back of it. I'm like, that's the phone book I've got right now. And I thought that was really cool that they <laughs> kind of took the time to make it seem so yeah. legitimate. Although they did refer to German village as German town, so they, <laughs> they didn't get everything exactly They right. tried. They, yes. you know, I salute them for that. That's right. You know, in Columbus, we don't get a lot of, uh, of, of those kind of shout-outs. <laughs> but so it was good. One of the top shows of the 80s took place here, allegedly. So, and since we so, are talking about love songs, do you recall the love song that came from that show? Uh, Billy Vera and the Beaters. What would you do? What would uh, you say? Yes, at this moment. At this moment, yes. Thanks, yeah, thanks for coaching me. That was, that was I knew who sung it. Michael J. Fox and Tracy Pollan love song on the show, who got married later and are still married today. I wonder if that song played at their wedding. I wonder if Billy Vera showed up in like a powder blue tux maybe that would be something good to maybe like like a kangol hat that would be something good to research we know. should we should if i ever meet michael j fox i'm going to ask him that yeah. so all right the number two show this week was not like a normal tv show it was a made for tv movie return to mayberry so it we got to revisit andy griffith in the game and did you watch andy griffith growing up I did. Uh, it ran from, it basically ran throughout the 60s. Mm-hmm. And when we watched it, we were just watching the reruns. and They were on all the time. So, right. Um, yeah, and I think that's why this was, you know, such a big hit movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because of that nostalgia, you know. We, we've been watching reruns for all these years and then they come along and say hey what happened to these characters yeah. after all these years and so i think everybody wanted to rush back and kind of kind of reminisce yeah i i loved andy griffith show. do you know who's a big andy griffith fan matt taylor matt taylor is a huge really? yes he is he he could probably i th- i think at one time he told me he had every episode on vhs or something matt correct me if i'm wrong 
But um, Matt, huge Andy Griffith fan. And his last name's Taylor, like Andy Taylor. Makes so sense. I think he might be Andy's long-lost son or he, grandson he, or something. There may be some, he may be re- related somewhere. He could be. Had a lot um, of tendencies. He has a nice, there. clean, wholesome show. Yes, but. it was. And it's funny because, like, um, I remember seeing a book at one point that, uh, you know, back in my days as a youth pastor, that you get these catalogs for all of these things they want you to order, you know, different curriculum and things like that. One of them was a an Andy Griffith Bible study guide. And every single episode of Andy Griffith, they were able to put a Bible study together and tie whatever's going on with Scripture, which it, I thought was really cool. I never got it, but I thought it was neat. Yeah, it's a neat concept. Yeah, but yeah, back in the 80s, there were a lot of reunion shows of that magnitude. Like, I remember seeing a Gilligan's Island one and a Brady Bunch one. Those are the two that come off the top of my head. I'm sure there were others. So let me ask you this. What show would you like to see now that was on in the 80s? So in other words, who would you like to see, you know, kind of catch up with what's happened with them over the last 30 years? Cheers. Oh, yeah, well, they're all dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I don't think any of them are dead. Well, no, they're not. But I'm trying to think. Would be I think Co- Coach died. Coach yes. died, but he was like 100 years old yeah. then. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, that's the one I would like to see. You know, it would be kind of cool to see where the guys from Miami Vice are now. That would be neat. They'd probably be working in a nursing home and possibly possibly living in a nursing home and like maybe being security guards there or something. I don't <laughs> and loving up on the ladies. <laughs> right, exactly. Still, still wearing his white pants. Just, that's right. Just higher. I mean, it was in Miami. so Yeah, right? it was. So, so it's okay now. You, you could like do that. it. So yeah, that would be a cool show to see a reunion of. A, a Cosby show reunion would be kind of awkward. Yeah, that would be kind of awkward. <laughs> hey, Papa Pudding Pop, come here. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my mind. It doesn't work right all the time. So, yeah, uh, that, that's a good question. So maybe we'll uh, put that as a poll on uh, on the Facebook page sometime soon. What, what 80s show would you like to see a reunion of? And then we'll make it happen because <laughs> we have that kind of power. Speaking of Pudding Pop, the number one show this week in 1986 was who? Was what, Kevin? Uh, the Cosby Show. The Cosby Show. I used to like The Cosby Show a lot. Uh, yeah, it was hilarious. We talked a few weeks ago, I think Matt and I did, about the legacy that Bill Cosby leaves behind. Like, if he hadn't gotten all this trouble, this show would still be revered, as well as you know, Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. Good, wholesome show. Kids were... You know, not getting in any kind of stupid trouble. So, I mean, it was, it was a great show to watch. That whole block of shows, a Cosby Show, Family Ties, Cheers, and Night Court, were all back to back to back to back. Mm-hmm. That was a good, that was must-see TV right there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yay. That was good stuff. Now, we're going to move over to the movie section. We're going to talk about the number three movie this week in 1986. And, by the way... Because Kevin is such a thorough researcher, he watched all these movies. So he's going to give us uh, some Reader's Digest movie reviews as well. So the number three movie was Gung Ho. I remember Michael Keaton in it. I remember he was working in a Japanese car factory or something. That's about all I remember. Yes. Uh, yes, and I just watched it this week. I, I did see it back in the, in the 80s, and I remembered it somewhat, but... Essentially, they live in Pennsylvania, and there's a factory that's getting shut down. He goes to Japan and tries to 
convince this Asan Motors to move a plant there. But when they came... Not Nissan. No, Asan. A-S-S-A-N, yes. <laughs> nice. um, and when they move it there, they uh, try to incorporate all of these Japanese customs, which, you know, these, these guys, which were kind of kind of like steel workers, essentially, did not adapt well at all to it. And so it's kind of the, the hilarity ensues kind of thing. But it, it's actually, there are actually quite some some pretty funny parts in it. Um, directed by Ron Howard. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of Return to Mayberry. That's right. And Michael Keaton is, is the main character, which, um, uh, you know, he would go on a few years later to do the first Batman. So, he was a great Batman. Yeah, he was. He was. And you know who else was in that? You probably don't remember this. Um, mm, I got nothing. So, and if I tell you the name, you may not know it, but Getty Watanabe. But oh, yeah. Told you, dong, dong, yes. dong. He was, he was the shamed executive. He had, he had kind of failed executive class in Japan. And so he was the one sent over to make this plant work. So it was kind of like his last chance to do a good job as an executive. So that was kind of like the, the premise of the entire movie. So. Nice. And for those of you out there going, Long Duck Dong. What's happening, hot stuff? Yes. 16, 16 candles. candles. Yes. Which in the future, we're going to do an entire episode on John Hughes movies. Cool. So you guys want to, Kevin, you should come back for that one. I might. I might. So that's a great movie. That'll be a ton of fun. All right. So that was number three. The number two movie was The Money Pit, and I'll give you what, because I didn't do any homework on this at all, so from memory, Tom Hanks, Shelley Long, yes, they buy this fixer-upper house, and everything falls apart, like it is a disaster, and they gotta build it and do all these other things, that's about... You pretty much gave the entire premise of the movie, and that's that's... I mean, it's just, you know, he'll open up the door and the, not the doorknob won't fall off. The entire door comes off the frame, you know. He's walking up the stairs and a staircase falls apart. And it's just, that happens throughout the entire movie. Um, gets old kind of quick, to be honest with you. It's not a great movie. It's, it's it can not, be done in a half-hour sitcom. <laughs> I, I think this movie did well because uh, Shelley Long's in it, which, uh-huh. you know, this was during the Cheers. Yeah. Tom Hanks was on it. You know, he obviously had, he'd been on... Uh, bosom buddies and um was this was this before big this was before big he had done he had done bosom buddies he did uh splash Mm -hmm. and bachelor party bachelor party that's a great movie (laughs) and then he did man with one red shoe in 85 which yeah i I never actually i still haven't seen that movie i saw it probably back then yeah um so so he was getting some star power certainly not like what he has yeah did you ever expect him to go on and and win Academy Awards and, and be Forrest Gump and Philadelphia and, right if and you like look at Bosom Buddies and and uh, you know uh, Bachelor Party you're thinking okay he's kind of typecast right and right he's going on to do great stuff it's, he has the, he has had such a versatile career I mean he was he was Woody in Toy Story for crying out loud that was mm-hmm. probably his his peak right there that, that had to be that had to be now do you know who directed this movie. Oh, no. Steven Spielberg. Did he really? That might be another reason uh, that so many people, people saw see it. You, you, you're, you have two stars in the um, in the movie, and it's directed by Steven Spielberg, who... This is after Back to the Future, which is so, 85. Yeah, 85. He did uh, Gremlins in 84. 
He mm-hmm. also did Goonies in 85. So mm-hmm. he, he had kind of a, a long list of hits, and then he did the Money Pit. So, so um, which is funny because you, you got to think, like, was this just like one last throwaway movie in the contract? Like, you have to do seven movies, and this is number seven. You better do it. That's a very good possibility because this movie was, <laughs> was terrible. It, it didn't fit the other movies he's yeah. done, right? It just it didn't fit. Um, nice. It was... It was okay, but thanks for squashing that for me, Kevin. Because I, I, I actually looking at some of these movies that we cover, I, I always think to myself, you know, I want to go back and see that one. That was one I wanted to go back and see just because of who's in it. But thank you for saving me for an, from an hour and a half of Pratt Falls and falling doorknobs. I think it might be on Netflix. Really, I think so. Um, so it's it won't cost you anything good <laughs> except for some time some of your subscri- subscription price yes that's right well i i may i may watch it i'll give it a few minutes if it's starting to be that bad i will probably just turn it right off which i do a lot <laughs> so the number one movie speaking of turning it off police academy three now it's funny because this, we're up to 1986 in 1984 this week the number one movie was Police Academy. Funny movie. 1985, Police Academy 2 was the number one movie. Also very good. Police Academy 3, eh. Yeah. So, you watched it this week. Thoughts? Yeah, unfortunately, this one is also on Netflix. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I think all of the Police Academy movies are on Netflix, so if you want to go back and just kind of go through all of them. What I noticed is... so. Back in the 80s, I probably wasn't as picky with, you know, I might have thought Police Academy 3 was great. Oh, Eat and Run was a great movie. Oh, exactly. If you guys have not seen Eat and Run or Sorority Babes at the Slimeball Bolorama, you do not know cinema. (laughs) Yeah, that, yeah, I forgot about that. We used to get together on Friday nights and watch bad movies, like intentionally bad movies. Yes, we would go over to Video Pursuit, which is over by my house. And we would we would go to the B movie section, and his, Kevin's wife Diana, my ex wife Kim, like we were all bought in. Like let's watch crappy movies. Yes, I recall <laughs> watching. Um, there was a Brian Bosworth movie one time that we watched. Oh yeah, I remember it. I can't remember the name of it. There was a. He was a cop. There was a uh, Vanilla Ice movie we watched one time. So yes, what was that? That was called. It was a. Uh, Mm. I, I couldn't even begin to remember. I, I probably couldn't have told you what the title was like 20 minutes after I watched it that night. <laughs> oh, so, that's too funny. So Sto- I, Stone Cold was the name of the Brian Bosworth yes. movie. So I think one of the reasons I have trouble watching the Police Academy movies now is because I have a brother-in-law that's a police officer, actually a detective, and a nephew that's a police officer. And hearing what they went through in their police academy does not align with what happens in the police academy movies. In, in the police academy movies, it seems like they're so desperate to find police officers that they'll just take any any loser off the street and put them in a uniform and turn them into a cop. And it's not that easy, or at least it's not here in Columbus. Oh, it's not. Well, the funny thing is, I remember when Art was actually in the police academy, the real police academy, I would say... I guess if a guy with a bullhorn that makes sound effect noises and stuff. And in true art fashion, he'll just close his eyes about halfway and kind of roll them. <laughs> it's, just, it's not really like that, Rob. Okay. I know, but it's fun to say. Definitely not. So definitely not. Um, watching it this week, I did pick up on something else. Um, 
I noticed in the background was the CN Tower. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. So I actually watched this all the way through the credits, and this was actually filmed in Canada. So maybe this is the way the police. Well, are all, all police. I mean, you know, they don't take things as serious as we do anyway. That's like their true. humor, like Second City TV, the whole thing, the the McKenzie brothers, like there's there Mike Myers, our favorite Canadian import. That's right. I mean, outside of Brian Adams. Yeah, which we'll or talk about. Michael we'll, J. Fox, right? Yeah, or Loverboy. So maybe there are some good things. There are some great things. So maybe the police are that jolly and funny all the time, too. So another thing I noticed, um, so my wife and I always joke that, you know, if we're getting ready to sit down and watch a movie and it's it's an hour and a half long, we, like, we kind of joke, oh, this is a classic. You know, if a movie's an hour and a half long, typically it's not that good. There's not a whole lot of time to, to build a plot. And when I checked the time on Police Academy 3, it's an hour and 23 minutes. Oh. And that includes the credits at the end. So it's, so it's basically, basically it's an hour and 13 minutes. Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> Disney movies for kids that are have more of a plot than this movie. Um, the, the big star, the big new recruit, um, if you will, in Police Academy 3 is Bobcat Goldweight. So that's... Oh, yeah, which, which he actually kind of saved... That movie, like the the one redeeming quality, if there is one, was him in that movie because that 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 was our introduction to him. Yeah, because like he was doing stand up, but he wasn't kind of like known as a household name, and and he basically was that character in everything he, he did. Like he was that character in Scrooged, which is one of my favorite Christmas movies. <laughs> and so then he ends up being in in future Police Academy, except instead of being a recruit, he's now an officer training others. But he stays that character throughout. So. Imagine if you're if you're becoming a cop and, and this guy's training you. Like, how do you keep a straight face? Right. So that's funny. So that's it for movies. That's it for TV. Uh, now, on to the music. So the number three song this week in 1986 was Addicted to Love by Robert Palmer. To a lot of people, this may be their first exposure to Robert Palmer. But I remember first hearing him back in the early MTV days. He had a song called Searching for Clues, which I just fell in love with. And he had another one called Sneaking Sally Through the Alley, uh, which is also the name of the album. And he, I just, I loved his voice, just very smooth. The music w- was was really cool. I loved the way it, it sounded, and uh, I mean that that was that was amazing. So, what are your thoughts on on this song? Well, we were talking about it earlier, and you said he kind of became Mr. GQ off of the look he had in the right. video in the Pepsi commercial. Yes, and I and I think this song, I think, would stand by itself. You know, without MTV, it was a great song, but certainly the music video helped drive sales and, and airplay, um, and became kind of a theme in future um, videos like Simply Irresistible. Yes, which uh, which we we re recorded this, and I said Simply Irresistible like three times referring to the song so we decided we're going to scrap it and do it over <laughs> yeah. yeah it was actually addicted to love this week not simply exactly but so, you i think what got you off the on a tangent earlier you were talking about the 
Pepsi commercial. Yes. Uh, so he was so this this video became so popular. This this idea of all these girls behind him when he's singing. Uh, he did it on Addicted to Love, and then he did it again on Simply Irresistible, and then they kind of made that into a Pepsi commercial. Yes. So. So, side note here, um, we were talking about how. Uh, Robert Palmer, like a lot of people may have been first exposed to him a year earlier uh, with Power Station. So, Kevin, give us a story how Robert Palmer got to be part of this this, uh, this 80s supergroup. Yeah, the uh, members of Duran Duran were on a break. They were kind of doing side projects, and so Andy and John Taylor uh, teamed up with Tony Thompson and... From Chic. From Chic, that's correct. Yes. I, I've forgotten about that. Yes. Um, and they put this group together called the Power Station, and their plan was to get different members, uh, lead singers for the songs, and they were going to have uh, Robert Palmer sing one of the songs. And I can't remember if it was Bang a Gong or Some Like It Hot. Do you remember which one? Uh, the first one was Some Like It Hot. Okay. So he did that song, and... They liked the way that came out so well. They said, well, why don't you do this other song, uh, Bang a Gong? And then they just said, you know what, after those two, they said, why don't you just be the lead singer for all the songs on this Power Station album? So the idea that they initially had, they just threw it out after they had Robert Palmer sing a few songs so successfully for them. Um, I, I do know that Power Station did make another album later with Michael D. Barr as the lead singer. It was not nearly as good. They toured together, and you know they were a band, but they never quite captured that feeling of the first album. Uh, it was funny. I was listening to, I listen to lots of podcasts. Um, when I am, you know, I'm I'm still new at this, and and I don't think I'm very good at it, but I'm trying. Uh, so I listen to other podcasts and see what they're doing. I think you're well. great at it, by the way. Oh, thanks, Kevin. You're a swell. Um, I I uh, I was listening to some this past week and uh it was it was a uh, a podcast out of sweden and the the guy was talking about power station and and how popular they were and it's funny because they're doing like a swedish countdown it was like in 1985 and like on the same countdown like back to back to back to back was like iron maiden and madonna and depeche mode and animotion and uh, um, Steve Perry, like they're all back. Like it was uh, Iron Maiden in there was funny to me, <laughs> so that was just really weird. But anyhow, uh, he was talking about Power Station and Robert Palmer, and also this week I'm listening to another podcast, and it was a Duran Duran podcast, and they were also talking about um, uh, what you had just said uh, about how the band got together but never I no, none of them mentioned the fact that you know he just happened to be another um, singer you know that, that they were going to have multiple singers just him so speaking of bad podcasts yes uh, I heard one this week and if the people doing their podcasts somehow managed to stumble across this one I'm going to apologize in advance <laughs> But I want to give you a little coaching. Uh, again, trying to hone the craft, so to speak. I find this podcast, and like these 80s and 90s kids talk about 
of pop culture. I'm like, oh, that looks pretty interesting. So, you know, they, you see a graphic or something, it catches your eye. So I start listening to it. And this episode, they were talking about The Breakfast Club. That's one of my favorite movies. Like, maybe I can learn something or, or maybe, you know, kind of find holes in their argument or something. Kevin, this was probably the worst podcast I've heard yet. These two were from probably deep south Alabama. And they had these thick, thick, thick accents. And they talked really, really slow. And they're talking about uh, The Breakfast Club. And I promise you, they spent 30 seconds trying to figure out what Richard Vernon's name was. I'm like screaming. I'm like, his name's Richard Vernon. And, and it's a guy and a girl. And he's going, ah, I think it's Vernon or something like that. And uh, and then uh, the girl goes, well, I can't remember either. Let me look. And there's just a pause, a long pause of her like, Googling <laughs> Richard Vernon or whatever. And uh, she finally comes out. She's like, it's Richard Vernon. Richard Vernon. And he's like, I was thinking it wasn't that for some reason. She goes, you know that one part that says show Dick some respect? Dick short for Richard. He's like, oh, well, I guess that does make sense. And they had a banter about that, which is about as worthless as this banter is right now. But I've got a point. Yes. If you're going to do a podcast, at least know a little bit what you're talking about before you hit record. That's right. Do a little research, right? A little bit. Just at least a little bit. Anyway, I... What they were doing, they would rewind the the movie, you know, the movie, because they they couldn't figure out what the quote was by David Bowie. They didn't mention that it's from the song Changes. They just said there's a quote, and he, the guy reads the quote off, <laughs> and, and you know his southern, you know, deep south drawl or whatever, and he's, he's like, and then the glass breaks, <laughs> and 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 the girl goes, yeah, we've got it muted in the background. So we're going to the different scenes and talking about it. And they're talking about the cars pulling up and the parents and the kids. And then finally they get to uh, Bender's locker. And I'm like, I I can't take this anymore. So they were about a minute into the movie. And you gave up. And it took them eight minutes to get there. I gave up. So that was it. So kids, this is not the best podcast you hear, but they're, believe it or not, there are worse ones. Yes. (laughs) So yes, the uh, number three song this week in 1986, Addicted to Love by our guy, Robert Palmer. Our number two song for this week in 1986 was Manic Monday by the Bangles. You know, Susanna Hoffs, lead singer for the Bangles, is one of the prettiest ladies I think I've ever seen. She is attractive. She's easy on the eyes. Yes. <laughs> so I I didn't really care much for them as a band. Um, they, they had some hits. They had some good songs. You know, Hazy Shade of Winter I thought was good. But beyond that, I, I didn't... Her voice, I didn't really like. You didn't like uh, Walk Like an Egyptian? I did not at all. That's worse than this song. <laughs> but this song, do you, know, uh, do you know who wrote this song? I do, as a matter of fact. Uh, who was it, Kevin? Christopher. Yes, it was. Also known as 
Prince. Prince, yes. Prince Rogers Nelson, uh, under one of his many pseudonyms. He was Jamie Starr for a while. He was Christopher. Um, but yeah, he wrote Manic Monday, and there you can find out there, there's a couple different places you can find his version of Manic Monday. Oh, really? It sounds kind of similar, but it's got, you know, funky. It's a little funkier. So uh, he really loved the Bengals version of it. He liked the female voice in there. So uh, that that's that's kind of kind of cool thing that you know Prince wrote the song plus endorses you. That's a good deal for them. For me though, I wasn't feeling it. It was it was okay. Um, it's, okay. I, it's a depressing song if I hear it driving into work on a Monday and I'm stuck in traffic. Oh my gosh, that's worse than Monday Monday on a Monday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> At least they had good harmonies. So, anything else about this song, Kevin? I think we got enough. nothing. So the number one song this week, 1986, is Kiss by Prince. He wrote the number two song. Wrote the number one song. Pretty impressive. The guy's, his resume is tremendous. I like this song. Uh, when it was out, I, I didn't I didn't give it much thought. Didn't really care much about it. But the song has aged well, I think. So when I hear this song now, I, I, I appreciate it now more than I did you know, back when it was popular, probably because there's such a glut of songs back then. Um, that 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 one I think has been kind of kind to my ears. Yeah, you've kind of weeded out some of the other noise from back then. This one's kind of stood the test of time. Yeah. Um, he sang this in a very high uh, falsetto. Oh man, voice. that must have hurt. Yeah, that had to hurt. Yeah, I, I can't. <laughs> but yeah, he pulled it off, which is funny because when it, not every time, but sometimes I'll hear this song and I'll think about, remember the scene in Pretty Woman where she's in the, she's taking a bubble bath, she's got the headphones on, she's singing this song and she does, she's blowing kisses in the air during that part. So my daughter Kayla, that's one of her all-time favorites is Pretty Woman. So, um, yeah, I think about Kayla when I hear this song sometimes. It makes me smile. So, all right, the number one song this week in 1986 was Prince. Since we are such music guys, um, you know, before we got together, we decided we're going to pick a couple songs that were in the Hot 100 that week that weren't top five. You know, they may be, you know, 40 or lower, but these are songs that, you know, meant a lot to us. So, Kevin. Uh, what are what are some of your favorite songs from this week in 1986 that didn't quite make the top five? Well, since we're on this kick with uh, Prince right now, uh, the one I'll throw out there is A Love Bazaar by Sheila E., oh, which yeah. was written by Prince. It made it to number 11. He sang back up on a song, really funky sound. I, you know, kind of, this was kind of that... Prince kind of owned the world, you know, in this in this phase. He'd had Purple Rain, and now he's having these other groups come out. And, uh, yeah, this one I really liked a lot. So one of the ones I liked from back then was Feel It Again by Honeymoon Suite, number 43. I don't think it got much higher than that here in the U.S. Now, this is an underappreciated band from Canada, and if you pay attention to our Facebook page at all, uh, this was one of our Two for Tuesdays. Uh, which is, you know, I put these lost gems out every day, or that, you know, 
songs that I could just think of randomly, and sometimes we'll put themes along with them. But we did this one and then New Girl Now, which is another Honeymoon Suite song. So those two really cool songs. Field Again was number 43 this week in 1986, so it was it was good to share that video with everyone. Yeah, now if I had had to guess, I would have thought that New Girl Now was a bigger hit in the United States than Feel It Again, but it Feel It Again was actually their biggest hit in the United States. It was, was actually it? a bigger hit than, than New Girl Now. Yeah. I didn't realize that. And Feel It Again, yeah, great song. So what's 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 your what's your next song that uh, that um, should have been in the top five? This yeah, week? and this one came really really close. It made it to number seven. Uh, Let's go all the way by Sly Fox. Sly Fox, yes. So, uh, and contrary to popular belief, this song is actually about uh, taking your dreams and goals and taking them through to completion. It's not what a lot of people think it's all about. So. Into Disneyland. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Living in Disneyland is that's uh, actually, right. Uh, my next one was off of one of my very favorite 80s albums, Songs from the Big Chair by Tears for Fears. You're thinking, oh, he's going to say Shout. No, he's going to say Mother's Talk. Um, the album version of this song is like eight minutes long, lots of, of, of guitar and drum and synth solos, and just it's all over the place. But it has got the, the rhythm, the beat of this song is just it's great, and it drives the, this whole song through, and that's one of my favorite. It, it was number 53 on this week. I should have checked to see where these songs peaked at. It, this one may have got into the top 40. It may have squeezed in, but uh, for all intents and purposes this week, it was at number 53. Yeah, this was the fourth song off their Monster album, Songs from the Big Chair. Um, the others were, uh, like you'd mentioned, Shout, uh, everybody wants to rule the world and head over heels. Uh, I like Mother's Talk a lot. I had this album. I played it all the time. It was uh, really good. I liked it a lot. And it's funny. This album has aged very well, too. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you'll get an album that you like back then, and you'll hear it now and go, Oh, it's just not feeling it like I was then. This one, this one, this one's good. And there's another album I listened to today I'll share with you later. But, but yeah, uh, this was a good one. Um, what about your next one? Uh, my final one is... Tough Enough by the Fabulous Thunderbirds um, came in at number 10. That was its peak. And a little fun fact, this was played, this was on a soundtrack for both Gung Ho and Money Pit. Believe really? it or not, yes. <laughs> so uh, so the Thunderbirds were everywhere. Yeah, they were everywhere. They were they were on the charts and they were also in the movies. So, um, But this song, I think, is another one that's kind of stood the test of time. I, I really uh, like Tough Enough. And when that comes on, I always listen to it. You know, sometimes I'm like, eh, might be in the mood, may not. But when this comes on, I always listen to it. Yeah, the 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 fabulous Thunderbirds are one of the, those there's those cool bands. Like you just like like listening to them. Um, Tough enough was a very good song. Um, there's a few other ones that are escaping me right now. But um, wrap it up was another. Wrap big it up one. was a good one. They did a they did a cover of a, of a Van Morrison song. Um, I. It's escaping me right now what it is, so I'm going through my playlist here. So I'm, I'm trying to cheat and buy a little bit of time here. Um, let's see. The song was... Well, see, Powerful Stuff is another one that was, was theirs. I, I don't have it on this playlist. or oh Well, I could probably still find it. So anyway, Fabulous Thunderbirds, I mean, they were really good. They were great blues musicians, which is something that, um, you know, in the 80s, there were a few bands that were kind of going that route. 
kind of a bluesy kind of thing, and they were well respected. You know, they didn't have the chart success that some bands did, but they they were you know absolutely um, uh, one of those ones that other bands would listen to and uh, you know, really draw off of. So here comes the night is the song I was thinking of. Okay. It's a uh, it's a Van Morrison song from the late sixties ish, and that's a really good one. Uh, they all, how do you spell love is another song of theirs. Um, and you know what? I, I correct myself. Here Comes the Night is the song that I'm thinking of. Did I say that before? Because mm-hmm. I'm looking about 20. <laughs> that was the Thunderbird song. Yeah, it's Here Comes the Night. So check Here Comes the Night. Check that out. Look for it on YouTube or iTunes or Spotify or however you listen to music. So that, that's a really good, really good song. So my last one I wanted to bring up from this week it was at number 54. It's Beat So Lonely by Charlie Sexton. I would guarantee there's probably very few people listening that know who Charlie Sexton is that even has heard of, have heard of this song. Um, I'll be honest with you. There's not much else of his that I can remember. I do remember that when his album came out, I, was, I subscribed to Rolling Stone magazine back then, and this he was one of those artists they said to keep an eye out for. He's going to have a good career, so on and so forth. I didn't hear much else from him, but this one song was outstanding. So, Beat So Lonely, great tune, great song. Kind of sounds like uh, songs from that period, just really good. Yeah, and it's kind of a cool video, too. It kind of captures that... 80s moment if you, if you yeah. see he's got the, the the big hair but uh, he, he more kind, stylish than yeah it kind of reminded me of Steve Stevens the guitar player yes. for Billy Idol those guys kind of looked alike I yeah, never saw them exactly in the right. same room together at the same time yeah could have been the same <laughs> they could have been the knows. same guy so that that wraps up our look at songs and movies and music from 1986 but Kevin Kevin has uh, some other events from 1986 he wanted to share so let, well, let's jump one, along yes one in particular. Um, we were about a month away uh, this time in 1986 from a big event. Uh, do you recall what it was, Rob? 1986. That would have been May of 86. You have stumped me. It was Hands Across America. So, my big question for you... Wait, first of all, how can you keep a straight face after hearing that? I expect either laughter or maybe tears flowing down your face. Well, I listen to it so much that I've lost all emotion uh, when I hear that song. Uh, (laughs) No, I don't know uh, if I've heard that song since May 25th of 1986. They basically came up with this idea of an event and then had to come up with a song versus... A lot of these events were driven by a song like uh, "Do You Do They Know It's Christmas" by Band Aid or uh, "We Are the World." We are the world, right? So this was tears hey, are not enough. We're going to have this event, and we have to have a theme song to go with it. So uh, didn't really do much on the charts. But my question for you: Where did you stand in the line? 
I think I was working that day. Yeah. I, I was not a good American. Yeah. I, I do remember it came right through Columbus. Yeah, they made it like as right, easy as possible. It was right possible. down High Street. I think yeah. it went High Street in 23 and, and on South that way for us. But Yeah, they made it as easy as or possible. Or no, it was East to West. And, and was it, it? That, it might have been. That would yeah. make more sense. So it was, they, supposed, it was to go, Broad street. Yeah. supposed to go across the nation. <laughs> yes. And um, I didn't participate in either. I believe it was to raise money for... Uh, local charities to fight hunger and homelessness. I believe it was. And Good cause. Yeah. They raised $15 million, um, and the way they raised it was you were supposed to pay $10 to you know, get your spot in line. Yeah. But one thing that was interesting, they used celebrities to promote it. Yes. So they would have different celebrities in different big cities. And do you know who the celebrity was for Columbus? No. So it actually wasn't someone that lived here. Really? But it was someone that was on a TV show based in Columbus. Michael J. Fox? Michael J. Fox. No way! Was the, yeah, <laughs> if, if I had known that back then, I probably would have went. I would have went, I went, would have went and asked him if that Billy Vera song was sung. Well, that's before they got married. <laughs> Jeez. So, um, uh, I could have suggested it. You could have. Yeah. You could have. Yeah. Um, for Cleveland, I believe it was. David Copperfield, so he must have been from <laughs> he there. Was doing some magic while he was holding hands with people. Cincinnati's, this was an interesting one. I believe I read it was Chewbacca, so I never knew Chewbacca was from Cincinnati, but apparently he was. I, I don't know what the connection <laughs> was as to why he would be there, but uh, yeah, and this is a perfect example of why the 80s was the best decade, right? We were encouraged to go out in public and hold hands with strangers. Things we can't even hold hands with friends now. Right, now we're not even supposed to be with friends and family. So, uh, hey, those were the good old days, <laughs> That's right? right? We call them the good old days because they were. That's right. That's absolutely right. Yeah, I remember the, the whole Hands Across America movement, and, and we were watching the video here a little bit ago, and I saw Kenny Rogers in it. I saw Barbara Streisand and Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, and I saw Kathleen Turner and Robin Williams. So I mean, that, you know, that's a who's who of of '80s people right there. So a lot of celebrities were buying in, good cause. It it you know it it was a hokey promotion, ended up being pretty hokey. But hey, it raised good money, great cause. So so that was great. So you had another event in '86, Kevin. Uh, well, the other one's too depressing. So we'll just end it with that. Okay. So go go ahead. And okay. Say well, it. the yeah. Challenger exploded. So. Yeah. So you know, it, it's one of those things, uh, sort of like, you know, the generations before us would say, like, you know, where were you when JFK died? Where were you when, you know, you heard World War II was over? Those kind of things. So I remember uh, when the Challenger exploded. I was I was at work, and uh, we had a TV there, and we had uh, we didn't really watch the TV much, but the radio was always playing. And it was always on QFM 96. And they broke in the middle of the song and said, hey, this you know, this Space Shuttle Challenger exploded after takeoff. And you know there were no survivors. And they made a big deal about the lady. She was a school teacher mm-hmm. that was on the Challenger. And so we immediately turned the radio off and turned the TV on. And you know, just that image of, that, of the, the vapor fumes through the air and stuff is just permanently etched in our minds and it's a very sad moment and you know it's a pretty lighthearted podcast for the most part but you know there, there were events in the 80s that you know that, that were that were sad 
And, yeah. And that and there were. It's like when we look back, like the eighties were just all walking on sunshine and get it on bang a gong. But uh, you know, this this was a this was a day that it was really 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 rough day. Yep, I definitely same. I remember right where I was. I I overheard two people having a conversation, and I don't even think I had really realized that was the day that the the space shuttle was being launched. I knew it was coming up, and I heard that, and I and I just remember thinking that can't be possible, right? You know, certain things you just think couldn't possibly nothing could go wrong. They've been doing it for so long, so yeah, that was certainly a, a shocking time in early '86. So. Um, so it was nice that we had this May 25th event to look forward to, to get us our minds off of this uh, disaster. Agreed, agreed. So um, I think that pretty much wraps up 1986 for us this week. So um, coming up after, after our break here, we're going to get right into those love songs. Does your tape collection look like this? Then you need a KTEL tape selector. With special attachments, it fits conveniently in your car, stores all your tapes neatly, ready for easy selection. Tilt the first tape forward. The others follow automatically. Take your selection when it appears. When replacing tapes, tape selector automatically finds the proper place. In your home or in your car, protect your valuable tapes with Tape Selector, $4.99 from KTEL. Today's greatest stars create It's love. Pure magic. It's the album you'll never forget. Pure magic. The album. Disappearing fast at a store near you. And now for our feature presentation. We are going to be talking about our favorite love songs of the 80s. This was voted on by the people on the Facebook page uh, that you know, we put it out there. You know, Vote for your favorite songs. What songs in the 80s are your favorite love songs? So we're, we're going along the lines of oh, theme, uh, prom-type songs, love songs, that kind of thing. And so we got a lot of votes that came in. Um, I wasn't totally shocked at the at the winning song and kind of sort of expected it to be that or one of the other ones near the top. Uh, there are a couple surprises on here. So um, let's look at the ones that didn't quite make, like we'll go through all of these here, the ones that did not get into the top five but had at least, you know, some votes. So um, Waiting for a Girl Like You by Foreigner. That was a, that was a good solid song. I remember that one. Uh, Against All Odds by Phil Collins. I can't stand that song. Really slow song. Oh my goodness, it's so slow. And I like Phil Collins, but this song, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. Yeah, this this is, uh, yeah, you're right. He has a lot of really good songs. To me, this isn't one of them. No. It's funny, because after, after his peak as an artist... Um, he ended up doing like Disney movies and things like that. Like this song could have been added to his Disney movie collection, as far as I'm concerned. Nothing against Phil; um, he's great. Loved him with Genesis, but that was not um, that was not a favorite. Uh, another one, uh, "Cherish" by Cool and the Gang. Um, 
I kind of liked the song at the it's time. Pretty slow as well, but it's it's listenable. It's, it, it's listenable. <laughs> yeah. Yes, um, I, I certainly like this. It has the uh, seagulls at the beginning, which really captures your attention. It, well, you know, <laughs> hey, it, it does set the. You're expecting for, Christopher Cross to start singing, oh, right. but Cool and the Gang pops out, pops in there. And... You can almost imagine you're walking down uh, the beach with the one you love, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, it's funny. Uh, the next one, uh, I voted for this song, is one of my favorites. Um, I'm, I, I'm not surprised, but um, it is a great song, um, which it's uh, One on One by Hollow Notes. This is such, I mean, Daryl Hall's voice, he's got one of my favorite um my one of my favorite voices ever. Um, most of the stuff that Hollow Notes has done, I love. I've seen him live a couple times. I saw on an interview way back, probably about the time this song was out, uh, but Daryl Hall said he thought his vocal sounded better on this song than any song he'd ever sung. And it is just, I mean, he's got just that, that smooth soul voice. Yeah. And it's just, I, I love that song. Uh, the next one on our list here, uh, Never Say Goodbye by Bon Jovi. So this, I've always liked this song. Yeah, um, great song. Slippery When Wet was a great album. Uh, I remember um, uh, my ex-wife's prom, this was their prom theme, was Never Say Goodbye. Really? Yeah, so I'm pr- pretty sure I danced to this song at some point, and I don't dance, so... There we go. Also a song by Genesis. What's that? Never Say Goodbye? I Can't Dance. Oh, that, that's true. Now, I could have sung that song because <laughs> I can't. I got two left feet, son. <laughs> it's not pretty. So this next one, Kevin kind of, I don't want to say stole my thunder, but I thought this song was going to fly under the radar because when we get done, we're going to talk about our favorite love songs that didn't quite make the list. I did not think anybody... Would vote, you know, would would put this out there, but Kevin did. So me and him both voted for it. Nobody else did. <laughs> but uh, just between you and me, by April Wine, I think this is an underappreciated song. And I think if people yes. go back and listen to it, they'll say, "Wow, that is a really, really good song." And essentially, the the premise is he sees people that come together and it doesn't last, and they break apart. And he's saying, "Hey, between you and me, it's going to last forever." And uh, what's kind of cool is. Uh, this was the first song I heard after giving my uh, future wife her first kiss. So I w- was dropping her off at her house, uh, gave her her first, you know, the first time ever I gave her a kiss goodnight, then drove around the corner to my sister and brother-in-law's uh, house. Who, they lived three minutes away. And I don't remember why I was going there, but I remember Art gave me a mixtape that night. And maybe that's the reason I was going, was to pick up this mixtape, because mixtapes were very important to us back then. Heck yeah, they were. I got a and shoebox full exactly. of them on the table right here. <laughs> and and I popped the cassette into the... Uh, the, the Chevette? Into my Chevettes, yes. <laughs> Stereo system. And the first song it played was Just Between You and Me. So, so that kind of became... Uh, Diana and and my song at that point. So. so let me ask you this: When you played that song, is that the first time you had heard it? No, I had heard it before. Okay, I, it was just one of those songs you didn't hear a lot. Right, but, it wasn't um, didn't get a ton of radio play. They played on an MTV some. Yeah. So, so. Um, fortunately, I didn't 
pop it in and the first song I heard was Against All Odds because mm-hmm. then I would have to listen to that all the time. Um, so it's much better that it was just between you and me because I can actually handle listening to that song. Yes. Well, it, it's funny because one, like, I, I'm encouraging you listeners. Some of you are listening to this podcast and have never heard this song before. This is a great song. I would put it up with any of the top five or so that, that we're going to talk about later. But this is a great song. It's got one of the coolest guitar intros and middle of the road, like the in the middle of the song. There's another guitar solo. Like this, this is a cool song. I put it up against any of these other ones here. So there you go. Enough of my soapbox about how awesome <laughs> April Wine is. <laughs> another Canadian band, by the way. Next, uh, the next time I fall by Peter Cetera and Amy Grant. Um, Amy Grant. Uh, well, Peter Cetera, lead singer of Chicago, about this time he was breaking away to do solo stuff. And Amy Grant, uh, if any of you contemporary Christian music fans know, was was the, the princess of uh, contemporary Christian music in the early 80s. Like, like this was the one group that the, the church girls were allowed to listen to from their mom and dad. Right, exactly. She was wholesome. She was She safe. was wholesome, yes. And uh, so this song came out. It was a huge... Huge hit for you know for those two. Um, didn't love it, but uh, didn't hate it. No, didn't hate it. No, there's there's songs I hate. This isn't one. If it's uh, playing against, in the background, against all odds, I don't like. Right. If this is playing in the background, it's totally fine. Yeah, it's not going to kill me. Yeah. Um, the next one here is another great Canadian song, <laughs> "Straight from the Heart" by Brian Adams. Um, this is from the Cuts Like a Knife album, and if you want to go back and listen to a good, good, solid album that you're not going to hate, Cuts Like a Knife is is that album. Uh, not a bad song on it. Brian Adams, at his at his prime, in my opinion, uh, this was this is a great, great song. Yep, I agree. Totally agree with that. Um, there weren't many songs by Brian Adams I didn't like. So uh, no. he, great singer. Yes. The next song. Uh, is Babe by Styx. Like, this is the... This is the epitome of couple skating song. Definitely. That first organ starts out there. You better find a partner. Well, you already had your eye on her the entire day. Like, <laughs> it, you know, it, it, it's you know, it's couple skate. It's maybe Friday night. You got your comb in your back pocket with a handle sticking up. You got your, your feathered mullet sitting just right <laughs> on the top of the collar. Because that's all, all the longer your mom would let you grow it. And you're going around the rink. You, you're coming out of pop music by M. And the next thing you hear, the, the DJ smooth crackling voice. The next skate will be a, a couple skates. A moonlight skate. And there's the girl you had your eye on all night. And you're hoping that no other boy beat you over there. And sure enough, those organs start playing that keyboard. Kind of funny. Uh, Dennis DeYoung wrote this song for his wife. The band hated this song. Uh, they were not fans of it. But you know, the people the people have spoken, and they love this song. Yes. So yeah, that again, that's sticks, babe. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, the next one, one that I, I don't necessarily love, but it got a lot of votes. I mean, it just just escaped our top five 
uh, Up Where We Belong by Joe Cocker and Jennifer Warnes. I think a lot of the love for this song was driven from the movie, An Officer and a Gentleman. Agreed. Um, I, I don't know how well this song would have done on its own, but yeah, I'm with you. It's not one of my favorites, but it's it's serviceable. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't like it. It, it. I like it more than Against All Odds, I think. <laughs> but, uh, but it, you know, it's yeah, it's there. So, uh, so we've got this far. So now, you know what's left? Our top five. Number five. Since then, I never looked back. It's almost like living a dream. I could listen to that full song right now. I love that song. <laughs> I don't know. It, 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 it's a love song. I Love You by Climax Blues Band. This song peaked at number 12 on Billboard's Hot 100 chart in June of 1981. I remember this song being a hit. And the lyrics kind of confused me. Because listen, here's the opening line to the song. When I was a younger man, I hadn't a care. Fooling around, hitting the town... Growing my hair? Is that right? It sounds like a misheard lyric, but that's what he's really saying. So, he, he apparently couldn't come up with a better rhyme for care. Yeah. And he's like, ah, oh, hair, that's good enough. I've got some love to share. I've got my heart to share. No, I'm growing my hair. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's it's funny that uh, this is Climax Blues Band. This is the song that they're known for, but it's funny because... This song, if you get a Climax Blues Band album, you're not going to hear any song like this on there. You're going to hear some harder rocking, bluesy type tunes that are really, really good. But you're not going to hear a song like this at any point. But I don't know if they're happy. But they made a lot of money on the song. It's it's funny you would say that. So this was a big hit for them. But uh, the band did not like this song. Um so this was written by the bass player, and it was about this woman that's kind of come along and picked him up, you know, when he was down, and he just can't believe how she's come along into his life. And um, she probably made him get a haircut too. And she probably did because he was just you know, growing his hair, growing his hair. So he played it for the band; they didn't like it at all. And and then they brought a producer in, and they played all the songs that they had had for this upcoming album. And he's like, "Do you have anything else?" And he's like, "Well, I've got this one song." He plays it for me. He said, that's going to be a hit. And the rest of the band's like, you got to be kidding me. So that became the big hit. Kind of actually ended up driving the band apart. But at least we got this song out of it. <laughs> that one song just destroyed the band. Yeah, they're like, I'm tired of making money off this song. <laughs> so, I, I like being a struggling artist. I wonder if they, called, if they called his girlfriend who became his wife, Yoko Ono, after that because they broke up the Makes band. That's crazy. So yeah, the number five song was I Love You by Climax Blues Band. Number five. No, he did not stutter. That is our second number five because we had a tie. So uh, that was Heaven by Brian Adams. 
Uh, this song got made it all the way to number one in June of 1985. Um, interesting fact. So, Kevin, time to come clean. Yes, sir. All these years later. So, this song, uh, they were playing it on the radio here in Columbus. A couple stations were playing it. And it was not, this was in the spring of 1984. And apparently they weren't supposed to be playing it, so they had them, you know, stop playing it. Uh, Apparently Brian Adams is going to make it a single later. And so it, it was on the soundtrack for the movie Streets of Fire. So I was dating a girl at the time, and here's the come and clean part. I made a lot of love song mixtapes back in the 80s. Pretty much every girl I dated got at least one. And the girl I was dating at that time, you know, for me at that time was a pretty serious relationship. And I was not able to go out and buy the 45 to put it on this mixtape I was making for her. So I, um, I bought the album to uh, Streets of Fire. That soundtrack was terrible. I'm sorry, it wasn't Streets of Fire. It was A Night in Heaven. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> Streets okay, of Fire, that was, another, that was another album from another another time. Um, it had, uh, what was, what was the, the big song on that? Dan Hartman, uh, when, I, when I Dream About You. Oh. Yeah, so that was on that one. So, um, no, it was called A Night in Heaven. Mm. And it kind of sounds like a game you'd play at a, at a you know, at a Sweet 16 party, but it wasn't. It was this movie. I never saw the movie, but the soundtrack was awful. But that one song Except was for on this one song. So I was able to get that one song, put it on the, you know, the love tape, and uh, it ended up on there. So that's me coming clean. So you actually had that song before it became a hit in 85. You a had it year in before. A full uh, year so before, were, yes. You were way ahead of it. So, so you knew this was going to be a hit. You were, oh, you I, were, did, I sensed it. Yes, that's yes. impressive. That's <laughs> impressive. I didn't get introduced to it, uh, to this song until 1985, which I believe this was the number one song on the charts when I graduated high school. Okay. And uh, I also had a girlfriend at the time, and this kind of was our song. So I guess everybody who had a girlfriend at this time, this was their song. Oh, yeah. Um, Interestingly enough, um, in the UK, on this came out on a forty-five. In the UK, the flip side uh, song was the B side, I should say, was Diana. So when I met my future wife, Diana, that became became our song. So that forty-five kind of covered me for two relationships: the See, one from eighty-five, and then the one from uh, eighty-eight forward. So. So I, I guess that uh, Diana is probably um, shaking her fist at you right now when she listens to this part of the podcast. Possibly. Okay. Possibly. So he, so, he, he looks real nervous right now, Diana, just so you know. He's, he's sweating right now. <laughs> so um, fun fact about this song. Um, Brian Adams was actually on tour with Journey. Uh, they were supporting their Frontiers album, uh, huge monstrous album, and uh, Journey was like the hottest band right then. And then imagine Brian Adams opening for them. That'd be a great show to go see because Steve Perry was still with Journey back then, so that would have been a great show. So um, 
hearing faithfully every night, uh, he decided he was going to write a song along that, that that same basic type of uh, um, structure of a song. And uh, so he, he did that. And what's more is the drummer on um, Heaven was Steve Smith, the drummer for Journey. Really? Yeah, the original drummer uh, had a scheduling conflict. It was in New York. Uh, Brian knew that uh, Steve Smith was, was around, so he asked him to play, and he did. So little Journey connection there Very interesting. with that song. And um, so, yeah, that, that's fun little trivia on that one. Number four. The number four song from the Footloose soundtrack is Almost Paradise. So, the lead singers of Loverboy and Heart get together to do a duet. Now, you're thinking, this thing's going to rock. No, it doesn't rock. This is one of the best love songs of the 80s. Um, It peaked at number seven. Uh, It was released in May of 1984 from the movie Footloose. A huge hit. Um, I'm sure it was a prom theme of several graduating classes throughout uh, the country. Uh, Probably up in Canada, too, because as we know, Mike Reno's a Canadian. I think we've referenced Canada probably 15 times today. (laughs) But in the 80s, they contributed a lot to our music scene. Absolutely. But um, I know the, the 1984 Grove City High School prom theme was A Night in Paradise, and that was the the song. So um, that 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 was our uh, that was our theme back then. But uh, this song was, uh, like I said, one of the top love songs of the '80s, and and just you know, I still like the song today. Is that all you have to say? Is you, he gave me a thumbs up? Like you're gonna like comment on I, this? I can't imagine what to add. It's the the love song from from Footloose. It's the the one slow song they have in, on the on the soundtrack. Uh, and like you said, it's interesting they bring these two superstars together, uh, which which Hart did do some slow songs, but I think it was kind of after this. Yeah, so, I, I think like Alone and that kind of stuff didn't come till came later after this. I think they they realized that you know Ann Wilson not only has this rocking voice, but she's got this sweet voice that could complement a love song too. Yep, they came together, recorded this, and then went their separate ways. That's right. Which is not on our <laughs> on our list this week because it's not a love song. A lot like this next one. Number three. Oddly enough, our number three song is Careless Whisper by Wham. So I would say this is not a love song. Um, and, and it's interesting because 
I was kind of doing looking at the the list last week on on the Facebook page of kind of what songs were kind of bubbling up to the top and I noticed this was in the top five and I thought well that's kind of strange this doesn't seem like a love song and then uh, at the end of your podcast last week with with Devlin he made the comment about he voted for Careless Whisper and and you kind of called him out and said well that's not really a love song which I thought was very brave of you because he's a wrestler well, um, it was it was over Zoom, so he couldn't hurt me. Oh, yeah. that now it's now it all makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if he was sitting there, I don't know if I would have said the same okay. Thing. Now, now it's making sense. Yeah, which is you know he's not here tonight, so I'm saying I don't really think that's a love song. What's what's uh, your opinion? Oh my goodness, this is not a love song. This is a song about somebody cheating on somebody. The antithesis of a love song. You could say this is, well, I don't know, a hate song. Yes, this is a breakup song. Yeah, this so, is the end of the relationship, not yes. the beginning. So I I can't imagine anyone uh, gets married and let's go have our first dance. Uh, it's Careless the, Whisper. It's about cheating. <laughs> right. So this was released in July of 1984. It peaked at number one. Now, I'll put this out there. This is not a bad song. Um, this song has... One of the sweetest saxophone so- mm. solos of all time. I will confess this is a good song. Some facts about this song. Uh, it was recorded at the Muscle Shoals studio in uh, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, who had, that's where uh, Leonard Skinner recorded from. A lot of blues artists uh, in the 70s did. Uh, there was something about the acoustics in the place that people loved. So that's you know why they chose to go there to record this. And... Uh, that's where the vocals were recorded. Um, the music was recorded um, in L.A. and in London, kind of a, a you know different. When we hear a song, we hear three and a half to four minutes of a song. We don't see everything that actually goes into it. So it was recorded at different times, and the vocals were added later. But the cool part about it was that sax solo that you just heard. It took them. 11 saxophone players to get the right sound. Wow. Like George Michael was so particular about getting the right sound that like different guys would come in and come out like, oh, you know, here's your paycheck and, you know, we can't use you or whatever. They finally found the right sound he was looking for and and you can see, I mean, that, that it's a it's a great song, but George Michael wrote it about a girl that he had met as a child, like as a kid, he was like this chubby kid wearing glasses, did not look like the, you know, the, the pinup poster boy that, that we saw, you know, later in the wham days and, and beyond. Uh, he didn't have, you know, he wasn't quite there yet. Puberty happened, got rid of the glasses, lost some weight. Um, you know, girls started noticing him and this girl that he had a crush on as a child, he started dating later and he really, really liked her. And um, he ended up, ironically, cheating on her. And they were at a school dance. And she knew that he had been cheating. And she broke up with him right after that. So that's where that song came from. So, not a love song. 
I totally agree. And that might, he, he mentions in his song about his guilty feet, and that might explain the horrible dancing that I saw in their wake me up before <laughs> terrible <laughs> dance moves. So I think that's his. But they had lots of neon, though. But they did. They did, but the dancing was bad. So, yes, the, uh, the, the number three song, number three love song, according to you for some reason, was Careless Whisper by Wham. Number two. Now we're talking. Now this is a love song. Keep on loving you by REO Speedwagon. Uh, this song peaked at number one in March of 1981. And Kevin, here is a a fact, an absolute fact. So REO Speedwagon was a harder rocking band. Um, you know, riding the storm out, time for me to fly. Like these are arena rock songs. Pull the lighter out. This, you know, rock and roll. Then they did this song, and much like Climax Blues Band, the guys in the band did not like it. Uh, Kevin Cronin wrote it uh, for a girl, and he really, really liked it. And he's pushing to get it on the album since he was a primary songwriter. He was really trying to push this song along and the guys weren't buying into it but Gary Richrath the guitar player um, jumped in because he, he was playing piano and then he put that that guitar part in there that we're so familiar with and then the rest of the band's like okay we, we, we can do something with this this thing went to number one so here's the fact part this is the first band that sold out that was a rock band that decided to do a ballad um, the the power ballad. The power ballad. Like a year later, Journey came back with open arms, and then you know, even Cheap Trick and Def Leppard, and well, even the hair bands like Bon Jovi and Poison. Everybody started doing power ballads. They owe the money they made off those love songs to Ario Speedwagon. They should get a cut of every single one of those. Very interesting. So. Now, Talk to me. I will say this, <laughs> and at the risk of you throwing me out of your house... That would I, never happen, Kevin. I actually. do not consider this a love song. And I think at one time I would have said I did, mm-hmm. um, but then... Ooh, he's starting to flex. He's getting angry. <laughs> <laughs> but But then I went back and really closely looked at the lyrics, and... He is saying he's going to keep on loving, uh, and, and he actually wrote this for his wife uh, at the time. And he calls who, her a snake. Who would, yes, he does. He calls her. He, he said, "You're all coiled up and hissing." So she had cheated on him, and he says, "I'm going to keep on loving you because, uh, you know, when I said that I loved you, I meant that I loved you forever." So he, he's he's committed to this, but she has cheated on him, and and I and when I was kind of looking into this song, uh, he said people would come up to him and say, "Oh, we played this at the wedding," and he, he thought, "Oh, you must have just." listen to the chorus and not the verse right so um great song i love this song and uh and it is interesting how it was kind of uh, a 
I don't say a sappy love song, but it was it was a love song, and they yes. turned it into a power ballad to, to fit the band, and it yeah. definitely worked for them. Which they got much wimpier later. Um, oh now, my goodness! Yeah, and um, have you seen that video lately? Um, yes, I not that long ago I saw. it. Yeah, it's pretty bad, and it's pretty it, dated. It was the very <laughs> yeah, it was the very beginning of MTV where people really didn't know yet what they were doing, and uh, and he said that they were a pretty nerdy group, and he said that that uh, video didn't help that image at all. <laughs> Well, this was the number 17 song played on MTV. So this was definitely there as MTV was coming coming along. So, uh, again, Ario Speed. I remember I bought the High Infidelity album um, with my paper route money. And I tell you what, I love this album. Uh, oh, yeah. I listen to this album today because I'm getting ready for the podcast. And I thought, you know what, I have not, you know actually listened to this full album in its entirety you know for probably a couple of years and uh man it still sounds great the guitar sounds good the the vocal that here's a funny thing me and my brother chuck have had this conversation kevin cronin the lead singer for ario speedwagon might have the best enunciation of any singer of all time like you know how some lyrics you can't really tell what they're saying every single song they sing every word he sings you can tell real clearly him and Huey Lewis yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. they they just enunciate perfectly which is funny I, I don't know why that strikes me as but yeah funny. you're exactly right some of them just the, the words kind of run together like what did he say with this you could almost sit down and just write it out on a piece of paper what he's singing so yeah so it, it, good song um, maybe not a love song it's more of one than Careless Whisper is and <laughs> it's a ton better than Against All Odds agreed so, <laughs> I'll try my best to let that go but it's really really hard so okay so yeah the, the number two song was Keep On Loving You by REO Speedwagon that means there's only one left number one Well, no real surprise here. Our number one song from the album Frontiers is Faithfully by Journey. But, you know, this song peaked at number 12. It's interesting you would mention that. I was going to bring that up as well. Uh, There's certain songs that stand the test of time. This song is better than ever now. And to show you... To, to put into context how crazy it is that it only made it to number 12. It didn't even make the top 10. Yeah. Pac-Man Fever made it to number 9. <laughs> so um, I don't hear, you know, Pac-Man Fever make it on the top of too many lists of anything. Um, but, yeah, Faithfully by Journey, hands down, and it was a landslide, uh, is the best love song from the 80s. Which, which, which is also funny because we'll get back to this song in a minute. But don't stop believing. Like, that song now, like, kids know this song. Like, everybody knows 
don't stop believing. I mean, it was the the ending thing on Sopranos. Every sports team has played at every arena. So, don't stop believing. It peaked at number nine. Hard to believe. It is the number one best-selling digital track ever. Really? <laughs> yes, and, it is. And it only made it to number nine. Seven million copies. Uh, it, it actually, it's funny. It didn't chart its first time in um, the UK, but number six in two thousand nine, it got to. So enough of "Don't Stop Believing." That's another. That's another living, breathing beast on its own. Faithfully, this was so like, you know, what heaven was to nineteen eighty four. Faithfully was to nineteen eighty two. Um, this was like. Almost every couple, like, this is our song. So talk to me about, about this song. Well, um, I mean, it's... it's I, Obviously, I was... Well, I shouldn't say pretty young, but I mean, I was early teens. That so was before I was really dating anybody. Um, but, you know, this... You know how it is. We continue to play 80 songs throughout our lives. So because it's, they it's, rock. Because they rock, yeah. So, so this is one of those songs that I've continued to listen to and, and and it's like yeah this is this is great especially if you're separated you know if i if i have to go out of town for business or whatever this is one of those thong, songs that you think about where you know you get to come back home and rediscover you know the lover or your wife and uh so this is one of those songs that that separation and you know that that excitement of getting back together still holds true to this day so great song yes i i remember my my friend david yuska uh, that was him and his wife Pam. It's their song. I always remember that when this song comes on. So um, sometimes I chuckle. Um, but uh, yeah, this, this was their song. The song had no chorus. It is just you know the, the he sings it through. There's no you know like a typical song structure. No chorus. Um, as we said earlier, it was it influenced Heaven. But do you know what other popular song that it also influenced? Hmm, I do not. Purple Rain by Prince. Really? Yeah, I don't really see it too much, but and this is a true story. When Prince wrote Purple Rain, he called Jonathan Cain of Journey, who actually you know is the one that wrote the music to the song, and he's like, "Hey, I've got this song. I'm going to re- be releasing. It's got these these four chords in there that is you know, it's the same four chords." And he played it for him, and Jonathan Cain gave him his blessing. He's like, "I don't think." Many people are going to associate the two, but but I appreciate you, you know, you know, showing me asking and, for and, his blessing. He, he says it's going to be a huge hit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so very it, cool. It ended up being a bigger hit than Faithfully was, as a matter of fact. But uh, that that is that is a that, that's kind of cool on that one. So Faithfully is our number one song. Um, I totally expected that to be. Yep. I thought Open Arms would would be higher than it was, and maybe like maybe top three or top four, but. I had a feeling Faithfully would be our, our number one song. So, number one love song, prom theme, Faithfully. Yep. So, that's good. But, you know, Kevin, there are some songs that that didn't quite make the list. You know, we're music guys. Like, we, you know, we are 80s music junkies, so rightfully. Do you remember the time that we met at the library and we were in looking at old billboard magazines and writing down stuff to make mixtapes out of. Yes. Yes. So, <laughs> so that that's that's what kind of third degree ninja black belt music junkies we are. We couldn't just 
you know, like now, if you want to do something, if you Google 80s love songs, all these songs come up, so it's it's really cheating. <laughs> yes, it is. We had to either rely on our memory or actually do some, some research. I mean, now when people say they researched something, they really just mean they Googled it. Yes. But we actually researched it, which means we had to pick up a book Yes, or so, a magazine. So what we're going to do, we're going to share some of our favorite songs. Like I mentioned before, I used to make these, these mixtapes for girls all the time. Uh, like my wife, Leah... Like every year, she gets a um, a Valentine's CD. I make her a, a CD every year, but I also now have to put on a playlist too, so she can listen to it in her iTunes and stuff. But um, so you know, after you know, we've been together eleven Valentine's days now, so that that's a whole lot of songs. <laughs> so so, but anyhow, back in the day, back in the eighties, we used to uh, yeah, we'd all make mixtapes for our girlfriends. So these are some songs that you know would have went on those back then, and some of these songs just sound really awesome today. So I want to start, and Kevin's going to go, and we'll go back and forth here. So um, I've got a top ten list here. So number ten is "Yes, I'm Ready" by Casey and Terry Desario. Oh yeah. So th- a- this was a good, cool duet, Casey and the Sunshine Band. Um, and that was a, I mean, that was an outstanding, uh, song. I always loved it. Still do today. Um, I'm going to go with, um, Is This Love by White Snake. I believe that was, um, 87, 88, somewhere in that yeah. time frame, which, you know, at that point I'd met my future wife and it's kind of like, Hey, is this love? You know, it's a, um, another power ballad. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, I, I, Dave Yuska's brother, um, Brad. Brad. We we went to actually see White Snake one time down in Cincinnati. I saw and, White uh, Snake once. Yeah, uh, they uh, White Snake and Great White opened for them, and uh, yeah, that, I mean that was on that album at that time, and uh, yeah, great stuff. So in I'm going to think maybe 2000. I want to say 2002, 2003. Um, we took a family vacation to Myrtle Beach, and um, my brother-in-law Steve, uh, he had connections because he's from that area, and we got to go to the House of Blues, and White Snake was there with Warrant and Kip Winger. Oh wow! And um, uh, who a Slaughter was there, and uh, it seems like there was somebody else too. But um, that that was a, it's funny because Kip Winger was um, like his his guitar player got sick, so he ended up just doing an acoustic set, which blew me away. That was actually and I was not a Winger fan. Like yeah, they were okay, but but through that that night, him just doing acoustic to his his hits and things like that, he did a great job. He's a good guitar player and he's got a good voice. You know you. It, which you can kind of tell through their songs, but anyhow, we're not going to talk about Winger right now. <laughs> we're here to talk about love songs. So yes, uh, is this love, White Snake? My next one is "Voices" by Cheap Trick. Uh, it was actually released in December of 1979, but did not become an actual hit. People didn't hear it until you know February, Marchish. So that that goes on my list as well. Um, I'm going to go, and this one might surprise you, uh, If You Were Here 
by Thompson Twins. Yes. So you remember what movie that was played in, that right? That was in 16... No, it was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, nope, you were right the first time. 16, yeah, there's that an, was the ending scene where they're sitting at yes. the table. With Edge the, of Forever is in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which is okay. another Thompson Twins song. Okay. Another I'll good song. So, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, so that was my uh, my next one was If You're Here from uh, the Thompson Twins. That's a good one. Um... The next one for me is Romeo's Tune by Steve Forbert. Yeah, um, well, that's one that some people might have to look up, but that's they a really good song. It is a, it's a great song. Um, it's just got a really good tune. His vocals are strong. I mean, it's just it's a really neat tune. And fun fact, it was remade a couple years ago by country singer Keith Urban, who did a very good job with it. Uh, Keith Urban, if if you guys, you know, some of you guys might know him as a judge on American Idol. He's an Australian, you know, country singer. But this song doesn't sound real country. It sounds a lot like the original. So check check them both out. But Steve Forberts is better. So um, that's my next one. This one is maybe stretching it a little bit, um, but it's uh, when you close your eyes. It's more of a. Uh, Missed opportunity for for love, yeah. I think. Where he's this is kind Night of, Ranger, correct? Yes, yeah, by yes. Night Ranger. Thank you. Um, where he's kind of looking back on a relationship he had in the past and how great it was, and he wonders, does she still think about him? Because obviously, he's still thinking about her. Yeah, Night Ranger is one of my favorite '80s bands, and that is one of my very favorite songs. Great that's song. A, that's a great choice. Great choice. Um, my next one is Leather and Lace by Stevie Nicks and Don Henley. Like these, those two together, just I mean, they should have done more yeah, music together. I know they dated together. at one time and kind of didn't end well. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that that's that could be why we didn't hear more from them. But I, I saw a video uh, last week or the week before when she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last year. He came out and they sung this together. Wow! And it sounded really, really good. So that that is a another love song. Um, you know, it, it's, I mean, you guys should go back and, and check out this list next time you want to make a, a mixtape. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> exactly. Um, my next one is, uh, Take My Breath Away by Berlin. Yeah. The, the, Top Gun. The love song in Top Gun. Yes. Um, which, uh, was by, uh, T- Terry Nunn, is that the little? Terry yeah. Nunn was the lead singer yeah, for Berlin. So, great song, um. And I think it was, it, you know, it was one of those songs I think did well because of the the soundtrack. But oh yeah, it, I think it could have stood on its own as well. Yeah. Which is funny because um, Berlin was a very good band, and um, this is what they're known for. Again, to some bands, kind of get known for a song or two. And one of the podcasts I was listening to, they were talking about one hit wonders. Which I'm going to do a one hit wonder show sometime here in the near future, but. Um, uh, that's you know they were saying you can't call Berlin a one hit wonder because it had so many good songs. So if you ever get a chance, go check out some old Berlin music. They were really good. Uh, the Metro is a yeah. great song. So old MTV hit. Um, my next song we mentioned it earlier. We talked about it at length. I think um, just between you and me by April Wine. Um, that is another song that. I can't stress enough, deeply, hugely underappreciated, but an awesome song nonetheless. So um, that's, uh, that, that, that's a good one. 
my next one is by Starship, and it's Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now. Um, it was from the Mannequin soundtrack. Yes. Um, kind of a goofy movie, but um, still kind of fun. It was you know, mm-hmm. kind of slapsticky, but nothing, you know, th- this song is about the love between a man and the mannequin that he built in a store. So, <laughs> uh, but, but if you just you take that portion out of it, you know, the, the lyrics themselves don't actually mention anything about that, but it's all about nothing's going to stop their love. So I, I, uh, that's one of my favorites. Nothing's going to stop us now by Starship. Good. Um, my next one is, uh, let me love you tonight by pure Prairie league. Um, this is a great song. I think this was out. If my memory serves me correctly, about the same time that, uh, I love you by climax blues band was out, but I love this song. Um, if you recognize the voice, the lead singer in that song, it's country singer Vince Gill, uh, who's now part of the Eagles. So uh, he he's just got an amazing voice. He's a great guitar player. But this this song here, um, I don't think they uh, do this live anymore because you know Vince isn't there with the band anymore. But uh, this is definitely uh, it left its mark on me as a as a young teenage lad (laughs) so this song still sounds incredible today um this next one for me uh i i some of these songs are going to be influenced because i was dating diana at this point this this particular one came out in 88 which is the flame by cheap trick which uh i believe made it to number one didn't that make it to number i i think it did and um so that's one of those songs that kind of has meaning um just because um, you know she, she knew about Cheap Trick, and she she's never been big into music, but she knew about Cheap Trick because um, when she was in in high school, uh, on the cheerle- the cheerleading team did a song to um, uh, oh shoot, what was the song? Um, it wasn't Freeze Frame. Uh, <laughs> I want you to want me. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, I'll think Ain't that a shame? Me. No, that was like kind of um, a big one back then. But don't be cruel. No, okay. it, it, it was a really peppy song with like sound, like synthesizers in it. But um, so she knew about that band, and so when this song came out, it was just kind of like one of the songs that we liked. So nice, and it did hit number one in July of 1988. So good, good tune, good tune. Um, my next one, uh, another Don Henley tune, but not the one you're thinking of. It's Love Rules. Think, what in the world is that song, Rob? Go to the Fast Times at Regiment High soundtrack and listen to this song. It's just, you know, Don Henley is one of the best rock vocalists ever. Uh, him doing this song, it's, you know, under the radar song, but it's one that nonetheless that I still, to this day, um, I, I, this is an amazing song. So check out Love Rules by Don Henley. Uh, my next one, another one from late 80s, is Right Here Waiting for You by Richard Marks. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we had a friend that looked a lot like Richard Marks. You remember who I'm talking about? Yes. <laughs> so uh, He had the same hair, which was, uh, which was amazing. Um, but, yeah, the good song. He still has good hair. He still has good hair. I haven't seen John for years. So. <laughs> I, see, I see John every once in a while. John sends me stupid texts a lot, and I send them back. But, but John still has good hair and a great beard. So, John McNeil, if you're out there with your Richard Marks hair and beard, we love you, buddy. But, uh, yeah, that that is probably, that is my daughter Kayla's favorite love song. Um, she she played, she always would play that on the piano, and uh, she did a great job 
playing that song over and over and over again. So that's a really good one. Uh, my next one, um, just got a couple more left here. Uh, Sweetheart by Frankie and the Knockouts. Uh, oh, yeah, that's that, a great song. That's a good song. Uh, a lot of people might not remember that one. Go look it up. It's a great song. Uh, Sweetheart, Frankie and the Knockouts. I think the cheap trick song I was trying to think of was Flamethrower. That is the Jake Isles band. Oh, okay. That's that's why I couldn't find it when I was there trying to look it up. There you go. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, that's right. It was uh, They're Jake both Isles. big around the same era. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, let's see. My next one probably won't be on your list. I think it's safe to say, which would be Eternal Flame by the Bengals. <laughs> You know, yeah, right. No, it's not. <laughs> so I, I, based on what you had said earlier tonight, uh, not a big Bengals fan. This is one of their uh, or the Bengals, either one. Bengals or the Bengals, Bengals or either the Bengals. One. Never. Yeah. Uh, so Eternal Flame uh, again, late eighties, nineteen eighty nine. Uh, but that was the next one on my list. Cool. Uh, my next one, um, Hearts by Marty Ballin. Uh, that formerly of Jefferson Airplane, Jefferson Starship. Uh, Marty Ballin had, uh, I think this is his only solo hit, but this song is always, uh, always a great tune. He's his voice is just hypnotizing anyway, and he does a great job on this song. Um, my next one, I can dream about you by Dan Hartman. Yeah, we mentioned that one earlier from Streets of Fire. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, that is a good one. Yeah. Um, so my last one, my number one, which is one of my all-time very favorite songs of my entire life. Um, I I didn't put it on the voting list because I didn't think people would think about it. Can I guess what it is? Go ahead. Is it Endless Love by... <laughs> that is one of the last songs that is right below Against All Odds. <laughs> so you would actually listen to Against All Odds before Endless Love? I sure would. It's funny because like... I've got this playlist and just kind of a little behind the curtain in my life a little bit. So me and my wife, we will sit and we'll, we'll play board games a lot, especially now. So we're playing Rumi Cube a lot. And we play Catan. That's the other game we like to play. And so we're sitting there and we'll play like these playlists. And like, oh, I might get in the mood to hear like songs from 1980. So I've got the top 100 songs on a playlist, and they'll just kind of go through. Or I've got an overall 80s playlist, which has got about two or 3,000 songs on it, and it just things just come up random. That song comes on. It is like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. That song is terrible. The only thing worse is Barbara Streisand to me. And it, it just goes through me like bad meat through an old lady. <laughs> it's just awful. So... The song that, that made it on almost every mixtape I ever did for a girl back in the day was Ain't Even Done With The Night by John Cougar. Oh. That song is just awesome. That that song takes me back to the 80s. Just the feel of the song, the vocals, just everything about this song. I think if you're going to craft a pop song, this, is, this would be like... Um, an advanced class in, in, in pop song writing. So, so that, that, that is my list of songs that I would have included here and put in my top ten. I have one final one, and that's, uh, we've already mentioned it tonight, and that's uh, At This Moment by Billy Beer and the Beaters. Yes, good tune, good tune. So um, that kind of wraps everything up, but we wanted to, to share one more little tidbit here. Speaking of 1986, um, so... Kevin and I 
both are big police fans. Mm-hmm. And Kevin, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you tell the story. So, um, the, the biggest album that that the police had was Synchronicity. So they've kind of been climbing the charts since the the, the late seventies, or climbing the mountain, so to speak. They come out with, with Synchronicity, and then soon after break up because Sting decides he wants to go solo. And I was, you know, Rob heard me complain about it many times. I was upset that they had broken up. And so Rob comes up to me one day and he said, did you hear the big news? The police are coming out with a new album. And I was so excited. I said, what's it called? He said, you said beyond synchronicity? Back. Back, back to synchronicity. He said, he said, they're coming out with a new, I was so excited. I'm like, I cannot wait. And it was about two months later, I found out he was joking with me. So I was, it was so depressing. I was like, oh, I was, I was so excited to hear this new album. So, which, which in all fairness, it's funny because I, I remember, because like, you know, we do things like that to each other. We're guys. We want to fool around. But I thought I had told him I was just kidding. But apparently I forgot that little detail. Of, oh, I'm just kidding. Yeah, so I'm waiting for this, this <laughs> album to come out. And, of course, it never does. So, you know, he's burnt me once. So he comes up to me a few months later. And he's like, you're not going to believe this. He goes, the police are putting out a new song. And it's called Don't Stand, to me, Don't Stand So Close to Me, 86. And I said... Well, okay, he's obviously lying because they had a hit, Don't Stand So Close to Me. Now he's trying to tell me there's going to be a version called Don't Stand So Close. And so he's like, no, I've heard it. It's amazing. It's like the drums are really fast and the guitar's are really fast, but the lyrics are slow. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not buying it. And, I, and he kept trying to convince me, and I would, would not, you could not convince me that that album was coming out until you showed it to me. <laughs> yeah, I, could, I couldn't just pull it up on my phone and like, here, listen. I, or here's the article, right? Yeah, so... That, so. So what they did is they put an album out called Every Breath You Take, The Singles, and it was just a greatest hits album, but they redid Don't Stand So Close to Me, 86, for, you know, just as a special song for this album, and it was, it, I remember it just like it was yesterday, Kevin was just like, fool me once, shame yeah. on me, <laughs> no yeah. way, I am not <laughs> buying your line of bullcrap, Rob Fott. I do not believe you. It was just so ironic that you had tried to convince me they were coming out with a new album, and then they actually did, you know, like a year later. So <laughs> That's funny. So, you guys, that is all the time we've got. Thanks for hanging in here with us. Kevin, thank you for joining no, me today. Thank you for having me. This has been a blast. Um, this has been a blast. This was, this was a good show, I feel. Um, but uh, thank you so much, and in, in honor of my friendship with Kevin, uh, I, we're going to leave you with it with this final song but again thanks for joining and we'll see you next time